It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm, here with good news and even better news. The good news? State Farm has new lower car insurance rates. The even better news? That means you can now get the service and convenience of a local State Farm agent at surprisingly great rates. State Farm can help you save more cash and get the good neighbor service you deserve. Just talk to your local State Farm agent or visit statefarm.com to find out how much you can save on your car insurance. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You're locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel Lurie, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. I wanted to do a Reddit mailbag considering the long gap between games and the fact that they usually end up being two-parters. It felt like a good time to do it, and it certainly ended up being got some great questions. This is going to be a two-parter. I don't know exactly where this one's going to stop and where the next one's going to start. And I'll also mention at the beginning that some of the most upvoted questions I'm not doing in the first half because I didn't have much time today and I want to do more research. And so I want to go into them. There are a couple that, you know, actually need some need some digging and both either from a statistical perspective or contacts and things like that. So if I skipped a high voted question, it's not because I'm ducking it. It's because I want to put a little more in on it. So that's what's going on there. This episode is brought to you by SeatGeek, my personal go to for both buying and selling tickets. If you download the free SeatGeek app, S-E-A-T-G-E-E-K, and then use the promo code L-O-Word, for Locked On Warriors, you get a $20 rebate on your first purchase. With that, let's move on. From Kind Fresh, who do you think will play more minutes, Patrick McCaw or Matt Barnes when he gets healthy and why? And then give a little bit of it, but who would, who would they benefit more from? And the answer is, it depends a lot on the matchup because McCaw is very good against teams like the Portland Trailblazers, who their two best players, their two best offensive players are guards. It's point guard Damian Lillard, shooting guard CJ McCollum. That dynamic is broadly not true for most of the teams the Warriors will play moving forward. For example, Gordon Hayward, you want Matt Barnes. Kawhi Leonard, you want Matt Barnes. LeBron James, you want Matt Barnes. So in all of those circumstances, especially when you're dealing with a backup, you want to go in that way. There are a couple of teams like the Cavs where their backup wings are you know arguably better as guards Richard Jefferson isn't much of an offensive threat at this point in his career so maybe in some of those matchups you go that way but you can really tell the difference between those two by context I mean I I like McCaw's offensive game better but the differences between them in guarding specific individual players or in different schemes is there also Barnes can theoretically play power forward I mean whether you wanted to find it differently with Iguodala that's fine but Barnes having that flexibility can can work out well too so I think you determine that entirely by context and then who's playing well so if one of them is off for a game making some bad passes not executing on defense you go that way and that also allows the Warriors to be a little bit more patient with Barnes because they don't need to have him as a part of the rotation until he's absolutely 100% so I haven't heard anything definitive on if or when that's going to happen, but it is worth noting. So I'm interested to see where Kerr slash Mike Brown goes with all that. And that actually ties in with the next question, which is from Winner Assassin R, which is how big of an impact will Kerr's absence have if he were to be out for the rest of the postseason, if at all? The answer is yes, it would definitely have an impact. And 
how much depends a little bit on what he is still able to do. So the most important element of Steve Kerr's impact for the Warriors has been changing the culture, changing the expectations in terms of offense, you know, getting players like Klay Thompson to not take some of the shots they took under Mark Jackson that were improvable. And so he's made, made a major impact there. That sort of a thing other than maybe in specific circumstances keeping players accountable, that lesson is already taught. So they don't have to do as much there. That kind of goes into what Kerr reportedly told the team on Mon- on Game 3, before Game 3, which was, you guys know what to do. So that part of it is is largely baked in the cake. The parts that are not are kind of personality management in-game, whether that is actually during action itself or like at halftime, everything like that. And then making adjustments on the fly. So I talked about in the, in the Locked On Warriors podcast after game three that I thought Brown's comfortability going to the starters more helped him in that game. And there are times you could very well see where Brown over Kerr could help in terms of just relying more on, on the best players. But Kerr has done a very good job along with the rest of the coaching staff making adjustments over the course of series. They didn't have to do that against the Blazers because they were way better than the Blazers. But if the Spurs or the Rockets or the Cavs take one of the two games at Oracle and maybe they take game three at home because the Warriors almost always lose game three right now, then that's the time when you really need to reevaluate. And Kerr, from what I can tell, is a good voice in the room for that. Now, it's entirely possible that he could still be a voice in the room for that, even if he can't be on the sidelines. I don't know where they're going to go on this dynamic or what he's going to be capable of. So really, it all does go to that, but they will miss him. Absolutely. And I mean, there are stories about, you know, Draymond kind of running roughshod a little bit over Luke Walton during that time. And that was part of maybe part of the reason that Kerr came back when he did. So you never know if that's going to be there. I I think the players seem like they have connect with Mike Brown and everything else. So I don't think it's going to be huge in the near term. Now, if it extended beyond, then you get into a lot more complicated stuff in terms of just where the team is and everything else like that. But it's not time to cross that bridge. So I'm not going to. Next question is from a real koala. Which players do you see leaving in free agency and which team do you think they'd be a best fit for? So I'm going to focus more on the first part of that question than the second part of that question, because who each player is a best fit for depends a lot, not only on where that team is right now, but also how they want to spend their money. So like I could say, oh, you know, Ian Clark is a good fit for X team, but A, their personalities, they're going to change and I don't know how much money they're going to offer. So I'll try to throw out a few different things. So the players, it's hard with the Warriors because basically their whole team is free agent. So the first guy I think is going to leave is Zaza Pachulia because Pachulia will really not have an opportunity to make more money on the Warriors. You know, maybe they could give him all or part of the mid-level exception. You know, even if they have cap space, you know, if Duran opts out and they need to do it, they're going to probably be using that space in another direction. And if the Warriors win the title, I mean, you could certainly say that Pachulia got what he wanted out of it, especially if he starts the whole way through. And it sounds like he turned down a lot more money. Maybe he wants to come back, but maybe not. And for Pachulia at this point in his career, he's best as a backup center. So I don't know if he's going to get like that ridiculous offer, but let's say somebody gives him seven and a half, six million a year, something like that. Well, I mean, then he could, he could take that. And one thing, and I've been talking about this with people due to kind of some guys like Greg Monroe, like Ennis Canner, who are 
at this point looking like backup centers is that the the league is a little bit oversaturated with guys like that. Pachulli has a little bit more upside. He will also have that championship pedigree if the Warriors win the championship, and that will probably lead to somebody making a mistake with him. But anyway, that's what it is. JaVale McGee, again, it's going to be about the same financial flexibility. He'll have something like all or part of the mid-level exception, which is, I think, the taxpayer MLE, assuming it goes that way, is about $5 million. And then the room one is like four something, something like that. So if that's enough money to keep JaVale, then maybe he'll come back. Otherwise, again, this is probably his last chance at a big contract. He's not in the same circumstance as Sean Livingston, where... McGee has actually made a fair amount of money over the course of his career. He got that big extension back when he was a member of the Denver Nuggets, which ended up partially being bought out, everything going on like that. So there is a possibility that he leaves money on the table to come back. He certainly appears to be beloved by his teammates and everything else like that. He needs to be in a role that is basically identical to his role with the Warriors. So an ideal fit would be he doesn't, you know, you don't need to rely on him as a starter, but if he plays well, he can go into it. And I mean, so if he's not going to be a warrior, Cleveland is a natural fit because LeBron is a great passer. They can they can do some stuff there if they used him on the second unit. They already have Channing Fry, but he could be a good natural fit. I, they don't have money either, but the Clippers would be, you know, if Chris Paul comes back, he would be a great backup there. And something that I look for with him is also teams that have really good backup point guards, because if you're thinking of him as a second unit guy, which people should be then teams that have depth at point guard would also be something to consider. So Utah, maybe if they, whatever they're going to do with their rotations, maybe that's Dante Axum, that could actually work out well. So there's some options there. It all goes shorter for the other guys. Livingston, it entirely depends on Durant. I think more so than Iguodala, I think Livingston is entirely dependent on what happens with KD. And also, if another team makes an irresponsible offer, he has made money in his career, but not a ton. And so I could totally see him if, let's say, let's say a team offers him like four years, 32 million or something like that. He absolutely should take that. And if he wants to, he can prioritize things however he wants. And I don't know exactly who that is going to be with him. I think it's probably going to be one of those squads that goes hard after the free agent point guards, George Hill, Drew Holiday, and strikes out. I think that would be a logical one. Maybe I was going to say the Orlando Magic, but the Orlando Magic already paid DJ Augustine basically that same exact money. And Livingston's way better, but you have that there. And Livingston, I don't think he's going to get starter money because he hasn't proven that he can play starter minutes, especially with all the stuff still going on with his lower body. He's getting older, everything like that. I think of all of the and all of the guys that are, you know, kind of in that one year mix, the most likely to return in my eyes is David West. I think he's had a good time with this team and he's probably reached a point now with a couple of years out of out of the spotlight where teams will offer him money like the, he would not get the most money from Golden State compared to anywhere else. But it might be close enough where it's not the same kind of sacrifice it was when he declined that player option back with the Pacers before he went to the Spurs. So that's where I'm kind of thinking with him. And I think Clark's just going to go where the money is. I don't know exactly where that's going to be, but somebody's going to give him a lot. Maybe it's Sacramento. I don't really know. And I'm blanking on other people. So that's really where I'm going to where I'm going to stop that one for now. And that makes this a really good time to talk about SeatGeek. SeatGeek is my personal go-to for both buying and selling tickets. And that's because I, I see things a little bit differently. I used to make a living buying and selling tickets. And I wish SeatGeek was as fully fleshed out now or then as it is now because it is an amazing place to buy tickets. And that's why you want to sell is you want to sell where people want to buy. 
And there are a couple of big reasons why. One is they're an aggregator. So the ticket business can be something like a Wild Wild West. You know, there are a bunch of different places where people can post tickets. And what SeatGeek does is it really brings them all together. So you only have to look in one place, which is a great thing. And second of all, they use DealScore. And what DealScore is trying to do is they know they can't tell you these tickets. These are the these are the tickets for you. But they can say these are the best tickets relative to their price and then you can choose between those for what is best for your preferences if you want to sit courtside for a warriors game they can say hey these are the best courtside seats if you want to sit in the cheapest ticket to get in they can be like hey of the cheap tickets these are the best tickets and so both of those things while you might think of them differently one of the big things they do is they save you time and they save you money you don't have to go looking at different sites you don't have to spend time perusing for different tickets so i've used SeatGeek since long before they were a sponsor i've really enjoyed them but if you want to use them and you haven't before, you download the free SeatGeek app, S-E-A-T-G-E-E-K. And then under the settings tab, there's a there's a place to enter a promo code. The promo code is L-O Warriors for Locked On Warriors. And then what they do is you make your first purchase, concerts, theater, sports, whatever you want. And they will just give you a $20 rebate on your first purchase. So you buy it and then they'll just send you 20 bucks. It's pretty awesome. So you get money, you get to try out something new and you get to tell them you came from us. So again, that's SeatGeek and the L-O Warriors promo code. Next question is kind of a related last one, so I'll make it a little bit shorter from M. Denzen. JaVale McGee is in the perfect system for a skill set and role, but I assume teams will offer him a contract. How much do you think a team will offer him Mozgov money? You think he stays for less? I don't think a team is going to offer him Mozgov money because you have to remember that the Lakers, I think his contract is around 464, 462, maybe something in that range. The Lakers saw Mozgov as their starting center and they had way too much money and spent it recklessly. It doesn't feel to me, especially after, you know, maybe not this last series, but the last couple months, that a team is going to look at JaVale McGee and say, okay, we can just set him in the lineup for 28, 30 minutes a game and set it and forget it. And those are the players at center that get a lot of money. They get way too much money, except for Miles Plumlee. That contract was just stupid. But generally speaking, that's where it goes. And JaVale doesn't have that part of it as a real strength for him. I'm thinking he gets something more in line with like six to eight million, maybe for three years, six to eight million per year, three years. And then maybe the fourth year, depending on whether he's on the low end or the high end of that is either partially guaranteed team option, player option, depending, you know, if it's four years, it's six million. Maybe that's a player option. If it's eight, maybe that's partially guaranteed to make it a little bit more team friendly. So something in that range. And if that offers on the table, that's probably going to be way more than the Warriors can do. So he can make whatever decision he wants. He's an adult. He can choose that. But I'm sure he does acknowledge that, you know, this has the being with the Warriors has really helped him. And so he will have a challenging decision to make. And this is really the first time that since the Warriors have been such big players in this market that they they have these one and done guys and might want them and might want them to come back and they might want to come back because players like Leandro Barbosa or Mo Spates. Those guys were all on multi-year contracts. Those guys were all under contract. You know, they, they kind of came in before the Warriors got amazing and then went through it and then made their own decisions. You know, most Bates went to the Clippers for the minimum with a with a player option. Barbosa got paid more by the Suns and probably did less this year, which is interesting. So they have some complicated decisions there. And, and also with JaVale, it's going to depend on who else wants to take the Warriors' money because maybe they, you know, they're interested in him for all or part of the mid-level exception. But if the right person or, the, or, or not enough of the right people come along, they can change his offer. So I'm not sure how to put it with him. And also, I, I forgot to mention this in the last question. I'm 
I was talking with Tim Pontemps before I even put out the ask for, for the Reddit mailbag about this. And I'm probably going to do a series, maybe for the podcast, probably for the athletic that about basically how to replace the guys that might leave. And so that probably start in probably a week or two. I have to do a lot more work and it's kind of going to pick the defining characteristics of those players and try to identify a group of people who could be potential fits because you never know in these sorts of circumstances who's going to take their money. So I think there's actually a question that gets into this a little later. So I'll talk about that then too. Uh, Catalba said, uh, what legendary big man can the dubs pay in the off season to transform Damian Jones into an elite center? My feeling on this, especially with the way that the league is going, is that you kind of want somebody, I mean, maybe that'll be David West, you know, David West, he's not a legendary big man, but he could be that, but also having people who can consult, you know, not necessarily in the playing capacity because the Warriors in their present state do not have the luxury of spending money on mentors that can't play. Think about guys like Paul Pierce or Mike Miller has done a wonderful job mentoring with the Denver Nuggets. A, the Warriors don't have enough don't have enough young guys to mentor, so that's not a big deal. And two, they need all of their roster spots because when you're competing for a championship, A, you have, have to deal with injuries, and B, you also have to deal with the idea that some guys are going to be ineffective and that your stakes are so high. So I don't think the Warriors moving forward, especially if they lose some of the guys that made this year's team so special, I don't think they can afford to quote unquote waste roster spots on guys. And that same logic is going to apply to their young guys. If they don't see a future for them, I think they need to start moving off them faster than they have so far. They did this with Nemanja Nedovic a few years ago, and that's really the way they need to approach this. If, if they don't see a reasonable path for a guy to become an impact player on their current contract, then they should let him go, whether that be cutting them outright or sending them somewhere else where maybe those people believe in him. Is it a good example of this is actually what the Clippers did with CJ Wilcox. They didn't think CJ Wilcox was an answer. They sent him to the Orlando Magic. The Magic are like, hey, we'll, we'll put a flyer on him and they weren't that impressed, but at least they took the shot at. So I could see that with a couple of different guys, depending on who the Warriors really like. I don't think that's going to be Damian Jones. I think they really like Damian Jones, but it's more of a mentality thing than picking specific examples. Question from Anish Kebab. How do you see the front court matching up against the Jazz, specifically in the center rotation? All three of them offer different looks to opponents, but it seems like Gobert favors and crew can give them some trouble. That is absolutely true. And this question was asked before Utah won game five in LA against the Clippers, giving them a pretty healthy lead in terms of just the likelihood of winning the series. I think on, on the Twitter NBA show, I put it at like 75%. The Clippers, sorry, the Jazz do have a really good front court and they've done an interesting thing as Gobert was coming back. You know, the idea was kind of going to be, oh, well, how are they going to balance Gobert and Favors minutes? What they did tonight is they ran them as a straight platoon. So Gobert played actually, I think it was about 35 minutes. He played more than I expected considering his hyperextended knee. And then Favors just played the rest. He only played like 12, 13 minutes. If that's the case, it's actually in some ways better for the Warriors because the two of them together can be really destructive. The downside there, though, is that the Warriors will not get to play their other worst guys like Jeff Withy, or theoretically they could go with Diaw at center or something like that. So I think what you want to do with Gobert when possible is you want to make him defend in space. He is going to be destructive on the offensive glass. I don't think there's a way that you can really reconcile that. But defensively, you can negate his presence in the paint by playing five out. The Warriors can play five out with two different guys at center. One is David West, because David West can shoot that 18 to 20 footer. And secondly, with Draymond at center. 
And I expect that if that's the series, we will see more of that than we did against Portland because Portland wasn't good enough where you had to pull that out. But the Jazz are. So I think that we would see more of that. In terms of favors, he's a little bit inconsistent in terms of what he's good and bad at. He's not great defending in space, but he has done okay a couple times on switches in this Clippers series. And when he's when he's 100%, he's just a monster in terms of stopping him on both ends of the floor because he's just physically strong. And so in those sorts of circumstances, maybe you try out JaVale just to keep, see if he's a little bit off rhythm. I'd, I would not want to play JaVale against Rudy Gobert because Gobert is so long that those lob plays are going to be even harder to, to get through. Favors, it might work. It might actually be a, a real possibility to see to see where that goes. So I would more lean in that direction. And then Zaza, you just kind of use him as needed and probably he'll start and then, you know, give him a, give him short spots when you see the need, but I would kind of lean in that direction. So play focus Draymond and West on Gobert, focus JaVale on favors, and then be ready to change if it doesn't work, because there's a very real chance that it won't work at any, at, at some point. And so you want to be ready with that. And that was something actually that I give the coaching staff a lot of credit for against the Blazers, that they sort of switched things around, saw what worked, and, and that's really what all these teams should do. So he said, what is different uh, about the Warriors' offensive and defensive system from the Spurs and the other ball movement focus systems that came before? It's, you know, there are elements of, of all of that kind of stuff. I mean, they do a lot in terms of ball movement and player movement. What makes the Warriors different in today's NBA is that they do so much in terms of cutting and, and coming off screens. The Warriors, as I think the numbers, I, I don't have this from the very end of the year, but from shortly before the end of the year, the Warriors were not only the best team in terms of cutting, so meaning their points per possession on cuts were higher, but also they were the most frequent cutters by a mile and a half. You know, they, they do more of their offense that way. If you watch David West and Ian Clark in the second unit, you have a really good sense of how this can happen. And part of the reason the Warriors can do that is because so many of their players draw additional defensive attention. So when, you know, when Stephen Curry has the ball in his hands, people are looking his direction. That opens things up for cutters. Also, since the Warriors have some have guys like Clay, who's such a good outside shooter, sometimes you want to do what's called top siding and basically preventing him from getting to the three-point line from coming up. And if a player is being top sided, the best thing to do there is just to cut back and go the other way because the player is kind of expecting you to go one way. It's kind of like if you're ever playing tag and somebody thinks you're going to run around the pole instead of running around the pole, you just stop and go the other way. That's basically what a cut off the top side is doing. And so Clay's gotten a lot more adept at that. He's been good at it for a while, but he's gotten better under Kerr at that. So that's something that the Warriors do differently. They don't run a ton of pick and roll, which was for a period of time, really the bread and butter for the Spurs. It is not right now. The Spurs actually run a ton in isolation right now because both Kawhi and LaMarcus are proficient at that and like doing it. So the Warriors are actually more more Spursy, old Spursy than the Spurs are now. And that that's kind of the main takeaways from that. Also, the Warriors can do, they do stuff in terms of dribble handoffs and everything like that, which weren't as much in the Spurs repertoire. They are incorporating that a little bit more now. Now that they have Pau Gasol and everyone small, David Lee does it. So that's kind of the basic structure of it. And uh, that's enough for now. I still have a lot of really good questions, so I'll be going through those in terms of uh, tomorrow's episode, probably. I actually have something else that I'm going to be doing at some point, so if that comes through, then maybe this will be pushed a little bit later, but still lots of great questions, still lots to get through. So thank you so much to our Warriors for 
putting this together for, you know, in only a couple hours to ask some really good questions. I still have a lot more to do. So that will be, be coming up at some point in the near future. If you want to give any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com, at DannyLaRue on Twitter. You can also support the show by leaving a rating, leaving a review, subscribing, downloading every episode. Those are really big for this show and any other podcast you enjoy. You can also check out my work at The Athletic where I do most of my Warriors material or, you know, find I do something in the Sporting News or Real GM that's following me on Twitter is a good way to see what's going on there. Then, of course, the Twitter NBA show, Nate Duncan and I do. That's not going to have a much of a Warriors bend on it recently because or in the near future because we cover their home games and their next two games are going to be home games. So it'll be a little while. We don't know exactly when the schedule is going to come out for that because the series isn't over in terms of their opponent. So we'll keep an eye on that. And then, of course, the last thing you can do especially in an episode where I do a read on them, is SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a great place to buy and sell tickets. If you use the LO Warriors promo code, you can get a $20 rebate on your first purchase, and you tell them that you came from us. So thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day. San Jose Sharks hockey is back, and we've got you covered five days a week at Locked On Sharks. I'm Kyle Demetrius. I'm J.D. Young. Eric Fowle. Together, we make sure you're never without your Sharks programming. Will the Sharks make a trade for a right winger? We got you covered. Will Eric Carlson's groin hold up for the entire season? We've got you covered. Whatever happens with Team Teal every day, we've got you covered at Locked On Sharks five days a week on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.